Welcome to Seek Justice, a podcast that takes a deep dive into the nuances of criminal justice. Good morning, Dennis. Good morning, Eric. How are you? Pretty good. In a previous episode, you said we should start looking at some of the presidential candidates and what their policies are on criminal justice. And today you told me you would like to talk a little bit about this long page published by Bernie Sanders called Justice and Safety for All, where he outlines all of this stuff that he is certain he's going to be able to do as president. And I've been reading through it, and it all sounds good. It all tickles my inner liberal. Uh, I'm, I would love to have all of these things happen, but something tells me it's kind of pie in the sky that any of this is actually possible at all. Tell me what, you, what are your initial thoughts on this? So he calls it a comprehensive plan, um, and it's actually a comprehensive set of ideas. Uh, for example, very little is, is stated about how he's going to get anything done, um, short of when it's clear that he could do stuff by executive order and rescind some of the things Jeff Sessions uh, had done and to replace, to end the rescindment of some issues that Sessions has done, for example. Um, but a lot of it, I wouldn't say it's so much pie in the sky because I don't want to denigrate it because it's actually a very good list of stuff. It's like he got a bunch of yeah. liberal people together. I can imagine, you know, 10 or 12 folks in a room with some academics and some researchers. And he said, all right, uh, you're here for three days and you don't get to leave the room until uh, you've come up with a comprehensive list of what we want to do. And so that's good. Mm-hmm. In fact, I've, I've not in, in my memory, I've not seen anything quite so comprehensive in terms of a litany of the things that are wrong. And so putting it all in one spot is very good. And I want to denigrate it. Yes. When we compare this to Elizabeth Warren's, which I haven't touched on, but I expect uh, is, I would just guess somewhat as comprehensive, but probably more uh, planful. Mm-hmm. And then look at Joe Biden's, which I'm sure is less comprehensive than the other two, safer, and maybe therefore more realistic. But what I like about Bernie Sanders is that he's laying it all out there and saying, look, I'm sticking my neck out. You know, I'm clear. I'm a, a social Democrat, socialist Democrat, or democratic socialist, whichever he prefers. <laughs> and I'm going to lay all this stuff out there. So I like it. But here's where the, the problem is, is that it's wildly unrealistic to think that that's what he could do in four years. Now, remember, this is the same guy that's going to give health care to everybody and free education to everybody. And so it's like, well, with all that stuff going on, and I'm not clear about how you're going to get that done. What about all this stuff? And he, for example, says he's going to point people like he's going to point a federal czar over prisoner reentry. Huh. All right. Well, it's not bad to have people, you know, delegated to do this stuff. But what's that person going to do? I mean. I'll give you a, a stark example. We've talked repeatedly, continually about ending mass incarceration and how implementation is so difficult uh, at the state level or the local jurisdiction level. Right. And he says he has a goal, and it's an audacious goal, and I like that, of cutting the prison population in half. Right. All right, well, let's use that big, hairy, audacious goal. And then, so how do you do it? Well, he doesn't say. He's got some more control over the federal system than he does over the state systems, where he has very little control. And the federal prison population is only 12 percent of the entire population. So he could eliminate the entire federal population and still only be, you know, 12 percent along the way of, of or, you know, 6 percent along the way of cutting it all in half. So the question is, how do you do that? You know, and so one of the things we could do this morning is take a look at some of these categories of, of, of activity that he wants to do. Mm-hmm. But it's it's really short on details. The other part of it is to take that a step further is that what I would like to see from a presidential uh, candidate is this type of a comprehensive plan. And then at the end of it, say, look, 
I'm realistic. I know I can't get this done in four years. I probably can't get this done in eight years. Go to this attachment. Go to this document, this issue brief. That's an actual plan Mm -hmm. that prioritizes what I'm going to do in year one, year two, year three, year four, et cetera, and categorizes that, that activity by what he can do that's under his authority through executive order, what he can do by the leadership position of promulgating stuff in the Congress. Mm-hmm. And I want to know, when I look at that part of the plan, how, how are you going to get by what is predictably going to be a Republican Senate majority? This is something that is, is I think we mentioned the presidential candidates haven't talked about 10 of them, 20 of them up on the stage, now reduced to the more workable number of 10, apparently, in a week or so. Not one time have I ever heard any of them say, I'm going to have a challenge getting this stuff through the Senate. Yeah, it the all, moderators don't ask. It, it all feels very much like when I get to the Oval Office, I'm going to have a magic wand and I'm going to be able to make things happen. Whereas the reality is so far from that. You know, you're not running to be dictator. We have this system in place that makes it really hard to do anything. Well, and I'm 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 more cynical than that. I I I would I I would hate it if a presidential aspirant was in the magic wand category, or or let's ratchet that down a bit and say that they're in the uh, very hopeful, optimistic, can-do mode. That's all fine. I'm I'm afraid though that that's not what it is at all. I'm afraid that what it is is it doesn't matter what I say. As soon as I get in, I can say, "Wow, it's a bigger mess than I thought." I've had setbacks already, and I know I said all that stuff, but now I'm here and blah, blah, blah. And this is just a vote-getting apparatus. And right. while I think I think the world of Bernie Sanders, I think the world of, of, of all the top candidates, in fact, and the ones that I think are you know potentially electable, beginning with, I think, most likely candidate to win the nomination is Elizabeth uh, Warren and then uh, Joe Biden in second and Bernie probably in third, because I think Bernie's too far left for, for most of the country. I'd love to see... Kamala Harris uh, do better, mm-hmm. uh, but I don't. I don't know uh, that she will. And Cory Booker is absolutely great on this justice stuff. And as a mayor, and as a, a, a legislator, I think he was in the legislature for a while. He's much more realistic, and he's got more of a heartfelt connection to it because, as he has said, he lives in a neighborhood where, within a couple of weeks, I think in the last debate, he said there were six or eight shootings, you know, near him, and that makes it much more realistic. I don't get that so much from from Bernie that emotional connection. But going back to what a real plan is, an actionable plan, some realistic set of expectations, and be as heavy as you want in executive order orders, be as heavy as you want on promotion of federal strategies that perhaps take any of these ideas and create pilot sites. What I'd like to see in this plan, is, as far as the, the, the work goes, is be heavy on executive orders, even if those executive orders are to uh, create uh, using the federal purse through agencies that he controls, like the Bureau of Justice Assistance and the Bureau of Justice Services and those type of agencies, Department of Justice and all their grant giving, to create pilots where some of this stuff can be tested out and we can see what the actual impact is and, and do that type of approach. So that becomes more realistic. The biggest bugaboo here, though, is what he's going to do with the states. And while this idea of pilots can help with the states, there's got to be a, a actionable plan that talks about bringing the governors together perhaps through you know, the National Governors Association uh, and through the National Republican Governors Association and the National Democratic Governors Association and bring those groups together and talk about what they can do and offer federal incentives to do that. You yeah. know, back in the day, uh, go ahead. Yeah, he mentions a, a bunch of times where um, we, we're going to uh, withhold 
federal funds from states that don't do that don't do what we say uh, as a as a motivation. And, and that's not bad. That's not bad. You know, the the back of the day they had a uh, we'd have to check your, your, check the notes for a, a date on this, but you know there was a truth in sentencing push you know some 20 years ago, and the federal government wasn't involved, and it was an example of. Uh, uh, a, a president uh, wanting to see things change at the state level. So he said, look, if you don't cut uh, the, if you don't increase the, the truthfulness of sentencing, at least so that people serve uh, 85%, I think it was, of their actual uttered sentence, if you don't do that, you're not going to get road money. Mm -hmm. And so states lined up like crazy, and it was on the on the negative side of things as far as the, the research and as far as my ideas and our ideas go. Sure. But it was very effective. And then when that road money issue went away, all the states had laws, and many of them still do, that go at that 85% level or worse. And so it's an example of, of an incentive. I think a negative incentive isn't as good as a positive incentive. Right. And so there's a lot of things that, that, that can be done. And he uses these actionable words, like incentivize and eliminate, you know, and things like that. Um, you know, so we, we can touch on some of these, but that's my, that's my general thrust of it, you know, um, and, and, and what I would say in general. So why don't we go through some of these items uh, line by line and discuss them? Um, yeah, let's look at the categories. He, yeah. he starts out, you know, with some 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 good stuff about the the wastefulness in the system, the high incarceration rate, the inability for that system to have much of an impact on crime, which is debatable. And then he talks about the the, the racial uh, uh, situation um, that it disproportionately falls on the shoulders of black and brown people in America, and, and, and that's true. Um, he doesn't make the connections that he very well could about how the 13th Amendment uh, to the Constitution of the United States allows slavery, because that is a more powerful uh, argument. But he makes the point nonetheless, and he opens it up only with a couple of paragraphs of stuff. But the, 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 the first thing he talks about is any profiteering. Right. And, um, and, and it's really clear that that's, that's a huge issue, and it's, it's one that, that many of us subscribe to for many times. And he says that he will ban for-profit prisons. Mm -hmm. okay, well, how do you do that? You do that through an executive order, is that going to affect the states? The states are the ones who have private prisons. I don't know the extent anymore that the feds have private prisons. I think they have plenty of their prisoners in private prisons, and so he can do something about that. But he doesn't say that. He says he'll ban private prisons. He's going to make prisoner phone calls and communications such as video chats free of charge. How's he going to do that? Yeah. State budgets in corrections are built partially in many states on the income generated from the fees charged for telephones. When really? I worked in the department, yes. When I worked in the Department of Corrections in Michigan, the profiteering was built into our budget, and we had several million dollars a year that we raised that came to us so that the company that was charging made a handsome profit, and so did we. I was successful after uh, I was in the governor's second term, Granholm's second term, to uh, account for that profit margin being used to fund reentry. So that one could say, well, we make money on this, but it's used to run these programs, which was an accounting trick. Because when you get money, it goes into a giant pot. There's no line item connection. Right. You can say the stuff, and, and if the line items match, then you can probably get away with it. I think it was more meaningful. It wasn't just a trick. Um, but it's just an example of how tough it is. And he wants to incentivize states and locals to end police departments' reliance on fines and fees for revenue. How are you going to do that? Right. Where's the money going to come from? It's it, it. You can't do more with less. You you, and 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 it's a good thing. Now, what he could say, and he won't won't say this because I'm sure it would, would appear wishy-washy, is develop 
approaches and plans on how the federal government can have a hand in incentivizing states and localities to end police departments' reliance on fines. In other words, be more realistic about it. You know, okay. uh, a, a point of, uh, I, I don't like commissions and, and, and whatnot for the most part, unless they're very clear in terms of a short time frame, what the expectations are, et cetera. Um, so here's, here's, here's a giant one, which is, which is a, a liberal mantra. Remove the profit motive from our reentry system and diversion, community supervision, or treatment programs. Ensure people leaving incarceration are or participating in diversion, community supervision can do so free of charge. He's saying he's going to remove the profit margin. Right. How is that going to happen? How are you going to control what happens in private companies, what happens in state governments? It's good stuff. Right. But, but it's but like it's learning. impossible. How? Yeah. How? Well, not, not, it's not not so much impossible, I, I, but. It's impossible the way that he writes it. As President Bernie will, no, he won't. Right. As President Bernie might, as President Bernie will want to. We'll, we'll, we'll request. Will lead, right? Yeah. He wants to end cash bail. So, you know, he introduces the No Bail Act of 2018. Very good, very good. Okay, how are you going to get it through the Senate, Bernie? How are you going to get it through the Senate? What's the incentivization? Are you, you know, and his response is going to be, as he says, I'm going to create a movement. Everybody will be involved. The movement will overwhelm. No, it won't. Right. <laughs> you know, and, and so there's a list of stuff that he's going to do there. He can end the use of secured bonds in federal criminal proceedings. I think that I don't know that can be done by executive order. There might be some laws that have to be changed there. He can provide grants to states. That's realistic to reduce pretrial to populations. He can withhold funding from states. That's good. He can ensure alternatives, right? But how that's going to end cash bail and how he's going to get stuff through Congress is, is unclear. Right. Then, uh, you know, so there's that. Then the, the, another, the next big heading is transform the way we police communities. And he, he starts out, which I don't think he does enough of in some other areas, where he starts out praising the police for gratitude and respect, et cetera. He should be doing that everywhere. I, I'd have to read a little bit more closely to see if he says the same thing about correctional officers who are facing, you know, death uh, potential uh, every day in their workload. Parole right. officers, same, you know, and, and you get the sense when you read this thing that, you know, geez, everybody's caught up in the system, these poor people. Well, there's an awful lot of very violent people in the prison system, career criminals in the system, people that need to be locked up. And from my standing, need to be locked up for the rest of their life because they, they, we cannot be safe in society with them running free. They're, 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 sure. they're too far gone. It may include sociopaths and psychopaths. And there's data that shows this. When you look at, um, for example, the... Uh, you know, what is the degree of, uh, you know, violent or nonviolent drug related crimes in prison? You would read this thing from Bernie and think that, it, you know, it's it's a majority of the folks who are there. And it's 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 really not the case. I mean, I think I mentioned before when I took a look at the uh, population in, of, of prisoners in Michigan and the activists in the communities were saying that we were locking people up for, you know, possession. I didn't find anybody in prison who was just there. not one person in 50,000 people in prison who were there for simple possession. It was all connected to somebody else. Yeah, but as a some other crime. As a consumer of the liberal media, I was sort of under the impression that the one of the reasons that we have prison overpopulation is this war on drug and the war on drugs and that we're locking people up for for silly stuff that if we if we could legalize some drugs some more drugs then they wouldn't be they wouldn't have committed crimes. But uh, but that's just the sense that the liberal media is giving me, but not to say that all media is liberal, but um, you know, you know what I mean, uh, but in in the bubble of of content that I consume, I was under the impression that quite a large percentage uh, is is drug related, 
but um, turns out not to be the case. Well, and you can uh, link up this uh, uh, article by uh, Raphael uh, Manguel. Um, yeah, I read that who, too. Yep. Who, who comes at this and he raises that issue. And then you know that, you know, it's about 15% of the folks that are uh, in state prisons um, are there for uh, drug offenses and 88%, of, you know, four times as many are murder, robbery rate, assault, burglary, et cetera. But here's what, what he misses. And this is a huge misunderstanding uh, or um, a misguided point that, that the right uh, says is that you've got to make a connection between drugs and all types of criminal activity. Right. When, when I was, I, I, I don't think I've told you this little vignette, I was in the uh, Wayne County, Detroit jail and had uh, a group of, uh, I might say, 60 prisoners who were in uh, post, uh, post-conviction incarceration. So they were serving their sentences there. And to test out, you know, a theory I had is that, so how many of you are here for a drug offense or, you know, whatever? And it was less than uh, 10% of all the people were there. It was a, a pretty small uh, number. And then I asked the question, uh, more to the point, how many of you here for a crime you committed that were related to drugs? You either committed them while you're on alcohol or drugs, or you were incentivized for money to be able to buy alcohol or drugs. Right. 85% almost 90% of the people raise their raise their hand. There you go. And so that's that's what that's what's 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 missing there. And so you know, it's it's an issue, right? But it's not as big as it's not as big as Bernie would say it. He would do better to add a sentence here or there and and actually take a page from the right and say, you know, opponents of this will say this or that, but this is what they're missing. Mm-hmm. You would think that that Bernie at this point after being a socialist democrat for so long is used and would know what people are going to come at him for and 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 maybe pepper the stuff in there but 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 again you know not to take away from the high concepts here because i think they're good um well and and he's not writing this he's not writing this to defend against uh naysayers he's writing this to potential liberals that 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 would that would vote for him i think but he's, yes. he's doing this to convince the people who otherwise would vote for Elizabeth Warren or Joe Biden to vote for him. Right. And he wants to out liberalize them. And as some would say, he is the one candidate who wants to out socialize them. And he does so brilliantly without remorse or exception, as opposed to others. Elizabeth Warren, for example, famously says, you know, I'm a capitalist. In yeah. other words, I'm not a socialist. I'm a capitalist. And then she puts out a list of, you know, fairly obvious socialist uh, rather ideas, which, you know, I certainly support. But but this is what we're doing here. We got to remember this is these people aren't running for president yet. Right. Exactly. No, they're, they're, they're running for the nomination. And so who's more comprehensive? Who can uh, who can and this is Bernie's Bernie's approach. And, 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 and it's smart, I think. Who can uh, uh, mobilize the uh, the folks that voted for Obama and, and, and then uh, didn't vote for Clinton, mm-hmm. who can mobilize the black and the brown voters of America? And importantly, and this is really critical for Bernie, given his whole history and approach, who can mobilize the millennials? Any any mobilization, any any victorious mobilization of millennials would tip the election. Right. But millennials, I think, are smarter voters in, in, in many respects. And I think they may want to know why as well, although how smart could they be when you look at the data that shows that many millennials that were supporting Bernie, mm-hmm. when Bernie lost the primary to Hillary, they voted for Trump because their primary issue was change. 
and Hillary didn't didn't uh, didn't uh, uh, yeah. s- satisfy that. And I don't I, I don't disagree with that. Sure. I do disagree with the idea vote for somebody who very likely is going to be worse and he's not particularly introspective on these issues. But, you know, everything has changed as a result of that, that last election. And so back to the list, yeah. there's some things in ensuring law enforcement accountability and oversight, rescinding uh, sessions, guidance on consent decrees, revitalizing DOJ investigations, et cetera. This is good stuff he can do. Can you explain to me what uh, Jeff Sessions guidance on consent decrees was? I think that we have to dig into this a little bit more, and and, and we'll see whether you keep this in there. But um, if there's a consent decree that says that a state can't do certain things because of a lawsuit that is pushed by the federal Department of Justice, that there may be in Sessions', in sessions uh, directive is to do less with that rather than more. Okay. And right. And so we can we can dig into that a, a little bit. But but here's the point about that is that this is within his power. Right. Right. Um, although um, one might argue that the attorney general uh, is there not to do the president's bidding. <laughs> yeah, one would argue. Yes. Although, but, you know, they're appointed. I mean, they're political figures, but but on and on. And, and here he here he's got, you know, accountability guidelines, oversight for federal funds. Very good that, that he can do that. And federal programs that provide military equipment to local police forces. Well, careful. You know, um, one, of, one of the things that you don't want to do as president of the United States, you don't want to piss off all the law enforcement agencies in the country and make them believe that you're so liberal that you don't support the fact that they are risking their lives every day. Yes, now, but the, the police, the police, the local police departments have become so militarized lately where if there is a if there's a report of a guy with a gun that's keeping his keeping his wife mm, hostage or something, uh, they will show up with with almost tanks, you know, really heavily armed vehicles and, and stuff. Uh, and I don't know. It, sometimes it feels to me like we went a little too far in that direction. Uh, well, and, 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 and you're the you're the kind of guy uh, who he wants you to vote. But here's here's the way that I would say that being a, a bit more centrist is consider the degree that local police forces are using military equipment and established guidelines for continued purchase based on uh, local uh, plans. You know, what you want to enter in a partnership at the federal level with, with police agencies, and you want to make certain that they have what they need. And I'm suggesting here that at the end, at the end, he may end up not providing any more money for military equipment because it very well may be that they have all they need. But I'm talking about the way that you write this and the way that you talk about this so that you don't aggravate what you're going to need to become president of the United States. People are not elected president from the left, and they're not elected president from the far right. They're elected from the center. Hmm. The Democrats have a hard time because in order to win the primary, they go left. The Republicans have a hard time more recently because they're going far right. But frankly, the conservative Republicans have had a better have, have, have been more centrist than the far left Democrats over some of the elections. Look at Clinton. Clinton moved right into the center. He ended up acting, sounding, and then as a president, did many, many Republican things, particularly on the criminal justice stuff. Clinton was more responsible for the hmm. uh, increase in mass incarceration than any president in history, and Hillary Clinton supported it. And then she she walked back. So I think what you've, what you've got to do is you've got to consider putting this stuff in there in such a way that it doesn't box you in so far to the left that you lose some of the support you might you might need, and so words are important. But doesn't that always happen though? In the 
everyone always in the primaries where you're fighting against uh, people of your own party fighting, running against people in your own party, you, of course, you have to go extreme to get that vote. And then everyone sort of pulls pulls towards the center when it comes to the general uh well, I think I think when you're talking about big concepts, that, that, that yes, that's the case. But here we're talking about stuff that 99% of all voters are not going to read. We're way in the weeds. Right, okay. What we're talking about here is way in the weeds. And so I'm looking at the, the, the laundry list here of ensuring enforcement accountability and robust oversight. And there's this one that, that I like the way it reads. Provide grants for states and cities to establish civilian oversight agencies with an enforceable accountability mechanism. Yeah, I thought you'd right. like that. That's kind of built. That's kind of a plan built in here with stuff that he can he can do. Um and it's worded in such a way, and then a couple bullets above that, he's going to end federal programs that provide military equipment. Mm-hmm. Well, why do you word one in such a way that seems more uh, uh, plan-oriented and another one that seems more edict? Right. When the one that's more edict could end up costing you some votes, you know? Right. Um, yeah, I, I, when I saw the uh, enforceable accountability mechanisms, I thought, Dennis is going to like this. Because you're all about uh, enforceable accountability mechanisms. So here's, here's, here's one I want to uh, ask you about. Ban the use of facial recognition software for policing. I knew that would catch your attention. It, it what's did. Your, what's your read of that? It did. Uh, it depends on how good the facial recognition software is. Like, if there's a lot of things where AI is way better than humans at, uh, especially with classifying images in the UK, they've gone way to the extreme of having uh, CCTV cameras just everywhere. And they can, using software, they can, it's not quite like what you see in the movies, like with, you know, the Jason Bourne movies where they, where they like, oh, our computers have detected that he came out of a train station in, in Brussels. Uh, but there, there's a lot of stuff that computers can, at least, it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be definitive, but there's a lot of things where a computer can look through a whole bunch of images in a few seconds and at least highlight potential matches for someone that then I think a, a human should evaluate. But I don't know exactly how facial recognition software is being used for policing, but it doesn't seem like a bad thing necessarily unless they're getting a whole bunch of false positives and putting people in, in, in jail for, for that. Yeah, well, and, and that's the other thing about this, you know, and, and when I wrote uh, policy uh, papers, um, of course, for the governor to consider, they were evidence-based and they were just full of citations. And then when I wrote, based on the governor's review of that, when she would say, as she often did, hey, I like this, this is smart stuff, you know, let's do an executive order uh, or an executive directive. I'd write two versions of that uh, order. One that was cited so that, you know, where it said, whereas, 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 you know, employability is important for reentry. There'd be a version of that cited the, the literature on that. And then there'd be a version that she would publish that wouldn't be cited because it was just too cumbersome, among other things. Mm-hmm. But it created for the elected official, in this case, the governor, both the version that the public sees and then the version that you can use to defend and your staff can use for Q&A and to defend it mm-hmm. and to talk about why. This is an example where he's just got one line here and there isn't anything else in here. This is all it says. Ban the use of facial recognition software for policing. Now, one might consider here that that could say ban the use of facial recognition software for policing because research has shown blah, blah, blah. It had right. four or five words, but it's a little start there. True. Let's let's move on to the next one because I don't want to, um, you know, there's a little balance here where he talks about 
stuff that I'm mentioning very well could harm the support of police agencies, where the next section is to provide more support for police officers and create a robust uh, law enforcement uh, um, a non-law enforcement alternative, right. alternative response system. And I'm looking at this, and there's like six bullets here, and where it says, the heading says, provide more support to police officers, uh, I don't see much more support. It's national standards for uh, use of force by police that emphasize de-escalation, that's good. Uh, require police officer training on implicit bias, that's good. Um, with strict oversight, independent enforceable guidelines, that's tougher. Ban the practice of benefiting from simple asset forfeiture. Provide funding to state municipalities to create unarmed first responders. Well, I can see how that's important, but boy, that's that's a tough one. That's a to consider. That's a topic. How they're going to be how they're going to be protected. That's a you know? that's a topic that um, that John Oliver covered one time: the civil asset forfeiture, where yeah. where where cops can just come in and take money from you and be like, oh, because I, I don't know exactly how how the how the law works, but it it seemed. Uh, in, the, in John Oliver's reporting, it seemed kind of ridiculous that so many law enforcement agencies uh, were collecting and were like had quotas where they needed to collect a certain amount of money from from people. Um, seems kind of kind of crazy. But of course, your 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 police departments aren't going to like taking that away. Right. Well, it's 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 money. I mean, it says provide more support to police officers. The last one is, you know, incentivize access to counseling and mental health services for officers. Okay, it probably can do that. Diversify police forces and academies and incentivize officers to live and work in the communities they serve. This isn't a federal issue. This isn't even a state issue. Right. This isn't even a county issue. This is a city issue. Now, you might be able to incentivize that, but I'm not sure how that's going to happen. So look at this list. What it doesn't say here is what he wants to do to determine whether police agencies have enough staff to be able to do the work. And whether or not that staff is well enough trained in, in modern techniques of police forcing, including community policing. It's kind of odd that it isn't there because the subtitle is provide more support. Right. And yet it looks like stuff that uh, would, would they would say would be more- um, Restrictive. Restrictive, right. Um, so there's, there's a section in here on um, ensuring Americans due process. And I think is, you know, we're, we may end up doing uh, this in two parts because sure. there's too much of it because um, there is a whole section here on reentry and whatnot that, that I want to get to, but I don't want to skip over the stuff. No. So, you know, he's got right to counsel here, which is which is important. And the first thing he hits on is he wants to triple national spending on indigent uh, defense to 14 billion annually. Um, doesn't mention how he's going to raise uh you know, another ten billion or nine billion dollars. I mean, uh, I think I know how he's going to do that. And since I'm doing my taxes this week, uh, and uh, a, a whopping 30, 35 cents of every dollar I make as a small business person is going to to taxes, mm -hmm. almost thirty percent of that to the federal government. Uh, you know, you look at some of his other stuff. He wants to cut defense spending. He wants to do this, but he wants education for all. It's like, man, oh man, Bernie, that's a big ticket item. A lot of these are. He wants to set minimum starting salary for public defenders. Cha-ching, uh -huh. the national formula to assure populations have a minimum number of public defenders, which is presumably as increased funding would do. I don't know if $14 billion is enough, but here we have— I mean, it seems, uh, it seems like we could, say, double the number of public defenders, and, uh, and still their caseload would be plenty. Well, but, take, a look, take a look at what happens in uh, New Orleans, uh, the state of Louisiana— uh, look at Detroit, look at some of the big cities. You're going to see some incredible data. 
and this isn't going to fix it. Here's one of the overall points about this. This is not a federal issue. Right. This is a state issue that the feds can help. I'm not I'm not reading. He wants to create and set a national formula to assure that populations have a minimum number. OK, we, I think we can do that, particularly if it's tied to federal funding and he can have federal guidelines and goals for right to counsel. Now he wants to create a federal agency to provide support. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know, if, if you're going to do this stuff, provide the money to the local systems. We don't I don't I don't want any more bureaucrats in Washington. I walk the streets of Washington, D.C., and see building after building after building. They're taking federal money. They're pushing the money into states. The states have their bureaucracies. And it's like, Bernie, you're growing government here, man. Hmm. That ain't socialist. Of course, it is socialist, <laughs> I suppose. But, um, you know, and, and, and it's, you know, and, and, and then I'll cancel all existing student debt and cancel any future student debt for public defenders. That's well, th- that's his big, the student debt thing is his basically paying millennials to, to vote for him. Uh, because they're all so, so neck deep in, in debt um, that that makes him a really compelling candidate, I would think, to millennials. So anybody who becomes a public defender has all of their student debt eliminated. And if they're going to cancel any future student debt, I don't know. I, I'm not sure how you do that. I'm going to be a public defender, so I don't have to pay. I, you know, you know, he's got a public service loan forgiveness program that he wants to you know, wants to put into place. And I, so there's some 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 planning there, you know, and, and next he jumps into ensuring accountability and fairness in prosecution. Prosecutors today have undue discretion in deciding which cases will be charged. And they're largely protected from liability when they break the rules. Sounds like something we discussed. It's, and it's true. Yep. It's true. There's guidelines for judges. There's guidelines for a lot of folks. There's not much guidelines for prosecutors. And I've worked on guidelines and they don't want any guidelines. Um, and so you've got this obvious imbalance, you know, which is a liberal imbalance between what he wants to do on right for counsel mm-hmm. and what he wants to do on the other side, which is prosecution. And he 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 doesn't say anything here good about prosecutors. And I don't I don't think that's the way that you write public policy. If it weren't for prosecutors in this country, crime would be rampant. Right. You can't beat up police departments and beat up prosecutors and put them in the category of the evil army. You could, you, you know, in, in the research that, that I may have mentioned in some of the other podcasts, when you want people to listen to you, you need to use a ratio of five to one, five positive things to one criticism. And it, he would it, he would be smart to do that. Hmm. You know, he, he does a little bit, you know, like when he opens up the thing about police officers, um, but as you were saying, uh, he needs a lot of the voters of color that Obama got to win the election. And I think potentially demonizing prosecutors and police might be a good, might be a strategy to accomplish that. Whether or not it's good for being, for governing later is another question. But I don't know, just a thought. So here's, and here's, and here's my point, though, on exactly what you said. I think that's right. But this is what he opens up with police agencies. The people who serve our country as police officers deserve our gratitude and respect. As a country, though, we're asking them to do far too much. As human beings, we all share common vulnerabilities and we all share basic needs to live a stable and dignified life. Okay? Here's where we go with prosecutors ensuring all Americans are due process. The criminal justice system is rigged, which, you know, then he goes in about corporate, you know, et cetera. That's the entree to the right to counsel. 
And when he launches into uh, prosecutors, he doesn't say anything about gratitude and respect. No. Prosecutors today have undue discretion in deciding which cases. They're largely unprotected from liability. They have advantage. He, it's, it's, it's Bernie, put a sentence in there about what we appreciate about prosecutors because we have to be fair. What, what, what does he want to say when he sits down for coffee with Kamala Harris? What does he say to her? Hmm. You're part of the evil empire? You know, what, what What? did you do? Kamala Harris's resume is full of stuff that she did as a prosecutor to forward justice. And there, as, as we've talked about, they're in a, a, a significant position politically to do some very, very good things because people will listen to them because they're more centrist. Now, they are less uh, liberal. They're more conservative. And that might get, you know, some people the heebie-jeebies, especially, you know, Bernie. But, but, but nonetheless, we've got to acknowledge that the justice system would come to a halt Without plea bargaining, you know, and he, he says that they've got an advantage in plea bargaining. People in jail without financial resources are more likely to plead guilty than fight the case, et cetera. All very true. The vast majority of cases end in plea agreements. That's true. But here's the fact. If we didn't do that, the criminal justice system would come to a halt. Mm -hmm. And he, you know, and I think he's got something in here about. Uh, well, here's a here's a line that that it relates to stuff that we've talked about. Place a moratorium on the use of algorithmic risk assessment tools in the criminal justice system until it, on, an, audit, an audit is completed. We must, ensure, oh we must ensure these tools do not have implicit biases that lead to unjust or, ex, or excessive sentences. For sure, yeah. but I mean, you're, you've you've been a champion for the for the algorithmic risk assessment tools uh, over the course of this podcast. But sure, obviously we want to make sure that they work. But but how do you how do you do that? So so listen, man. Bernie should know this, and his researchers should know this, is that it is case law that an, an actual area, actuarial risk assessment tool cannot be used as a sole set of information for sentencing. It can be used as one of many inputs. One would hope. Yeah. It's, it's a case law. It's been, it's been decided, and it's, it's, in, it's in case law in Indiana. We can connect to the show notes if you want. But it's not used now for sole uh, decision purposes, whether you're doing it in pretrial programs, in jails, everywhere. It's a guide right. for people who have to make decisions to use. And so this is a bad idea. Mm -hmm. You want to place a moratorium. We have significantly increased the evidence-based approach that we see across the country when these tools are used smartly. What, what he would be smarter to say here is to create a set of standards on the use Guidelines, yeah. of actuarial risk assessment tools that includes making certain that they are no implicit biases. Yep. But to place a moratorium, this, look, right here, this is one of the reasons I'm not voting for Bernie Sanders, and I supported him in the last uh, primary. I'm not voting for him partly because of this and partly because of all this stuff. I don't think he's particularly electable at this point either. Um, he seems, but this is, between this, this is the kind of thing. Between this and the, and the facial recognition thing, he seems a little afraid of tech in a way that's, hmm. That's well, who, but who, what, what, how did this come about? What was the process that he had? Yeah. And, and you know that it was a room full of people writing, 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 writing. He's probably, I would say it's a three to six month process, probably. There might have been 20, 30, 40, 50 or more. He's got some academics that are at the table. There probably were a lot of arguments. There probably was a mixture of left wing and, and you know, and more centrist folks at the table. And very likely there's a bunch of stuff in here. There may have been only one person who knew much of anything about it. Mm -hmm. And there wasn't anybody to argue with that person about it. And it made it in here. Hmm. 
I don't know that he did due diligence on this. I think he's more interested in having the most comprehensive list and I'll comp, you know, what's whatever, <laughs> I'll comprehensiving, <laughs> you know, and it's, it's a mentality that I just, I don't, I, I don't like it. Um, and so, you know, and again, a lot to be said about it. I think in balance, I, I, even though I'm being quite negative about this particular piece, I think there's more good here than there is bad. But obviously, only at the very high conceptual stage, unless he's got the stuff under his authority, which in many cases, as we, we've talked about, it is. So now we got a section ending mass incarceration and excessively and excessive uh, sentencing, and he's got some stuff in there that that's true. Um, he wants to abolish the death penalty. Okay. Okay. Good. Uh, how 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 do you want to do that, Bernie? How do you want to abolish? It? How do you want to do something that the liberals have been wanting to do forever, mm -hmm. and in some states have succeeded? How are you going to do that as president? You're just going to abolish it? Uh, can he do that? I don't think so. Pretty sure. I don't think that's an executive order. Yeah. I think this is a state by state issue. The death penalty, I would think, it's going to be if if it ever goes away, it's going to be because the Supreme Court declares it unconstitutional. I would think. Uh, I, haven't, I haven't yet. I know, and, 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 the and this, isn't. this one isn't gonna. So maybe, you know, here's, maybe fifty years. <laughs> here, here's two of these that 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 signify the throw my hands up in the air like Bernie would do and say, "How are you gonna do it? <laughs> Stop excessive sentencing with the goal of cutting the incarcerated population in half and mandatory sentencing minimums." Yeah, these are state issues. I, how are you gonna do that, Bernie? Those are those are things that yes, we want to do, but. You can't just say it. And three strikes laws. All right, great. How? Mm -hmm. You know, invigorate and expand the compassionate release process so that people with disabilities. Okay, now this is stuff that I tried to do at the state level. It's damn near impossible to do it at the state level. When we were in the in the uh, in the governor's office, we had a Republican House and a Republican Senate for the first term. We had a Democratic House and a Republican Senate in the second term. We couldn't get jack shit passed. Hmm because we kept coming into roadblocks unless it was, um, uh, you know, uh, bipartisan. And this isn't, you know, stuff that starts out very bipartisan. And so you get into all sorts of questions here. And as a litany list, great. I'm glad that a presidential candidate finally has said, this is my goal. And it's interesting where it's almost like in the first part of this, in several of the sections, he, his staff, you know, and, and I think he's kind of a hands-on guy. Remember in the debate that, that he said that he wrote the damn legislation himself over some right. some issue that came up. You don't know that, Second Bernie. of all, we'll come to you in a second, I do know, and I wrote the damn bill. And one of the respondents said, I think it was, uh, 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 I don't know who, who responded and said, yeah, so now you're writing your own legislation, right? Mm -hmm. And he may say, yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually spent time doing that and edited it. He, he might. You know, so he may be more hands on. But it seems like they took a little bit more care and time in the sections above this. And when they got to this, it's like, oh, hell, we've run out of time. We've run out of steam. We've run out of ideas. And so they're not using. So they just start abolishing death penalty. Yeah. And it's like, that's what he might say. I am unabashedly going to do everything in my power to end it. That's great. I'm glad you got that audacious goal. But this doesn't say what your goal is. It says what you will do. How will you do it? Right. How will you win? You know, and yeah, all of these, frankly, all of these lists should be should be preceded with as President Bernie will try to as opposed to which, which he's going to which, of course, any campaign person is going to say, don't do that. That's wishy washy. Of course. You know, but I think it's better to say what you will do and what you want to do to end mandatory sentencing minimums. You want to look at 
at uh, who is controlling that. It's, it's state legislators. And who, were, who are those legislators? Where are they getting their information? What incentivizes them, et cetera? That's how that has to happen. He uses that type of stuff in the earlier parts of the proposals, but then he gets to here and he doesn't do it. Yeah. And it's it's sort of like he ran out of steam and, and, and maybe, you know, maybe that he just took the red pen to the stuff and, and said, no, I want it to I want it to be shorter. Right. So here's here and three strikes off. No one should spend their life behind bars for committing minor crimes, even if they commit several of them. Mm-hmm. Well, OK. How are you going to get state legislators and state legislatures, both House and Senate, both Republican controlled and House controlled, to actually end it, Bernie? How are you going to do this over the course of what, one term, two terms? Right. How's that going to happen? How are you going to list governors? How are you going to list the, 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 um, the incentives that you said earlier? You know, you can use all sorts of in- incentivized approaches, whether it's Negative incentives that you don't get money if you do this, and positive incentives you do get money if you do this. But I don't know why, you know, why he, uh, why he stopped there. Stop the criminalization of homelessness, and spend more than 25 billion over five years to end homelessness. This includes doubling McKinney-Vento homelessness assistance grants to build permanent supportive housing, and 500 million to provide outreach to homeless people to help them connect to available services. In the first year of this plan, 25,000 housing trust fund units will be prioritized for housing the homeless. So here we have a whole paragraph, a run-on sentence and then a, a short <laughs> sentence, no, three sentences. It's actually three sentences. Why in a plan does he have three sentences here that give us a better idea? Of course, again, um, $25 billion from where? Uh, yep. You know, uh, right, but when you move that, he says what he wants to do in the first year. So one would think, well, that had some more thought to it. So here's here's where I would here's where I would start and uh, uh, prep for another session. Does Bernie have a team of people working now on developing plans of action for each of these, or is he going to do with every elected official I ever worked with, except for Governor Granholm, uh, who did a very good job of requiring pre-election the people that were recommending policies are to have plans of action. Hmm. And then she measured at the end of the first year what percentages of the promises she kept in the agency that I was in, Department of Corrections, scored highest mm-hmm. than any because we did more planning than any. And we also had connection between the campaign policy writers and people who were in the administration. But maybe he's doing that. Well, if he's doing that, you should have put that in here. So I suspect that he's not doing it. Yeah, and investing a whole bunch of money into the governing when you're still a candidate, it, one would like your candidates to do that, but I don't know how how the incentives work out with that. Yeah. You know? Well, I'd, I'd like to I'd like to do a part two here and just pick up right right where we left off. Yeah. And then I'd like to plan another one and jump into Elizabeth Warren's. And we'll see what the polls are like there. I'm not. I'm not all excited about Joe Biden, and frankly, I don't. I don't think he's likely to, to win the nomination from, from my gut. Um, but we may want to look at that as well because that one would be fun because he was partly responsible for creating the mess we're in in the first place, and there's no there's no getting around that. Right. Um, and, and we'll see. But his his numbers are going down, and uh, Elizabeth Warren's are going up as we speak. So so we can go from there. listening. If you like what you've just heard, you can support us by telling a friend or sharing us on social media. All of our episodes can be found on our website, seekjustice.fm. 
If you'd like to get in touch with us, we can be reached at seekjusticefm at gmail.com or via our Twitter account at seekjusticefm. See you next week.